welcome back to the second season of the Barrel Horse Life podcast. Before I jump into today's show, I have some major news I can finally announce to everybody. The Barrel Horse Life store is finally open for business. Whoop, whoop. As barrel racers trainers or just the average weekend warrior, we all work so hard at what we do. We are relentless and we need to be proud of our lifestyle. Often we get a bad rap. I won't mention any TV shows here. And I can't tell you how many times I've been asked, is that what barrel races are really like? Not going to even answer that question. So it gave me a great idea. I wanted to build a brand that not only represents barrel racing, but also I wanted to throw some of our own humor on top. The Barrel Horse Life dot store offers super comfy t-shirts with custom made to order colors, sizing, any way you like. Lots of great shirts with sayings like, run your horse, not your mouth. I've been doing cowgirl shit all day. Kinda ranchy, kinda cute. Click your way on over to the barrelhorselife.store and check out everything for yourself. I've got hundreds, I mean hundreds of options of colors, sizing, and designs. If you need something special, no problem. Say you got a clinic coming up that you need shirts made for, no problem. Shoot me an email and I can custom make whatever you need at no extra cost. Again, that's the barrelhorselife.store. On today's episode, I had a total fangirl moment. I was at work when I heard the ding on my email. As I quickly raced to my phone to grab it, open up my email, I found my heart was racing and I had sweaty palms. I'm like, what's wrong with me? As I opened the email, I saw her response said, thank you for asking and wanting to include me. I'm happy to be on your show. Insert little girl squeal here. She's a cowgirl seven days a week and has been her whole life. She loves people, horses, dogs, competition. She's a great example of a hard worker. Dina Kirkpatrick has been all over the world doing clinics and has been a killer competitor as long as she can remember. Her list of accomplishments totally blew me away, yet she's so humble about it. I've been doing this about a year and a half now, and I've never talked to someone on the phone that I've never met and felt like we just became friends, until today. Hola and buenos dias. Recording live and on location, on vacation, in sunny Punta Cana, Dominican Republic. I'm Amy Davenport, and this is the Barrel Horse Life Podcast. Today's episode, Dina Kirkpatrick. Right after the break. is brought to you by WOCO, a nutrition and fitness training program designed to help you reach your goals inside and outside of the arena. To find out if you are a good fit for the program, go to WOCO.com. That's W-H-O-A-A-C-O.com. When I went through Jamie's program myself, I gained way more than I bargained for. In our first sessions together, Jamie asked me, what's your goal? And I said, girl, I just want to fit back into my gosh dang skinny jeans again. And that's truly no joke. Jamie's program taught me that confidence in myself will progress back into confidence in the saddle. 
teaching me how to correctly feed my hunger cues led to way better eating habits. And then those better eating habits led me into fitting back into my gosh dang pants again. And let me tell you, the confidence that I gained fitting back into those skinny jeans at my first barrel race was a damn good feeling. Jamie's a registered dietitian and she's also an accomplished 1D barrel racer herself, so she totally gets it. Head on over to woco.com and use my code Amy10. That's W-H-O-A-A-C-O.com and use my code for any service. Hey guys, it's Amy. I want to tell you a little something. If you're listening to this podcast, I'm assuming you have horses. Maybe not barrel racing horses. You might just have the backyard pet. But either way, they're our best friends. And performance horses are athletes, and we ask a lot of them. Draw It Out is an all-natural topical liniment that removes heat, inflammation, and soreness anywhere on your horse's body. You can put it under wraps, saddle pads, even blankets. I mean, there's nothing on the market that's like this. It's completely safe, 100% natural, and it's super convenient to use. I keep it in the barn, in the trailer. Heck, I even keep it in the house. Their deep penetrating formula is completely sensation-free, so it goes on your horses gently with zero heating, zero cooling, and no tingling effects. You guys, that means there's no burns and no blistering with this product on our best friends. That's huge. I never leave home without their concentrate spray and gel. And in the summertime, their citroquin bug spray is the real deal. It actually works. Their new master mud poultice and ice bath are essential when competing and hauling down the road. Truly, keeping down as much inflammation as possible is key to the 1D. Click your way on over to LonePrairiePHS.com, that's LonePrairiePHS.com, and enter code AMY10 in the checkout. Let's keep our animals competing at the top of their game. All right, so today on the show, we have the much-awaited Dina Kirkpatrick. Um, I'll let you take the reins and tell us a little bit about, little bit about yourself, where you grew up, and a little bit about your background. Um, I grew up on a dairy farm in New Mexico. My father was a self-trained team roper who never claimed to be a horseman, but had this uncanny ability to unbelievable horses under my sister and I and himself so I had an interesting background and I was blessed with a horse as a kid that that basically back in the day ran 19 ones in the poles and and really the barrel racing we we went to invitational things back then because when you were little kids in the old days I I guess I was 11 and 12 when I had him you know you you know you could you could go to the pro rodeos that were that were within 100 miles but back then nobody (laughs) bought them get a card you know but anyway mm-hmm. he he outran there was there were no pro horses he could not run except for gail pedska's horse named dobry and uh, but anyway mm-hmm. he was very special unregistered palomino and um so i would credit him and my father with starting my career and um i'm one of those people that was born loving horses and uh, never even played with dolls unless the doll had a horse <laughs> so anyway the barbie and the horse in the trailer now kids are so spoiled 
Yeah. Oh, I know for sure. <laughs> but but anyway, so that was my background. And um, anyway, I my horses. I lived in the country. My horses were my best friends, and and uh, really, I just have been obsessed with horses. And I still get goosebumps if I'm just watching them play or helping at the at the All American Sale at the Four Sixes. I help them once a year with the sale cults for the select sale, and I just get goosebumps looking at those spectacular athletic horses so i'm a horse lover um to the core not just for what they can do for me but i just love horses and i have it since i can remember yeah and your husband cliff he ropes as well correct yeah he did he hurt himself a couple of years ago on probably the best calf horse he ever had and so he's no longer roping except for just in the brandon pen but he was uh, also gifted with horses, and we live on his family ranch, and we've lived here for, I got married in 1983, and so he is a super horse trainer, trained calf horses, and uh, anyway, and yeah, our lives have both revolved around horses. Um, he is in large part because it was a necessity for work, and still is, and early on, I helped on the ranch too, but then I, you know, when I started training horses, I quit going to work cattle and besides four o'clock in the morning is not fun (laughs) but I did do it when I was younger and before I had children but yeah yeah and your two girls Sarah and Hannah they're working with you and you're in the industry as well correct well no not now now they both did ride growing up but they both were of course you know it was too easy it would have been too easy to just be obsessed completely with competing on horses because that's all available the oldest one sarah was a pretty good basketball player for a five foot five white girl (laughs) and uh, we traveled all over the country on a special team when she was uh, in high school playing ball and then the youngest one played volleyball same thing Mm-hmm. We traveled lots, and they did that, and went. To, they both graduated from TCU in Fort Worth and have ended up living there. So they uh, both work at a, they got their degrees in uh, journalism, business, and uh, fashion merchandising, and uh, they both work for a commercial textile company in Fort Worth. So oh. they, they love horses, and they ride and do well, and they were wonderful help when they were younger girls. I when they were little, I, I homeschooled them. Some of the best years of my life and my career, uh, they I took them with me, you know, a five-horse trailer, whatever pets that they wanted to take with. And uh, we took we took off and went to the futurities, and they helped me bed stalls, haul water. Um, anyway, we have some amazing family stories from those years. And, uh, and, and uh, I, I use that time in my life to talk to people a lot when they get so obsessed with, uh, what's wrong in my career? Why can't I do this? Because during those years with the girls, you know, at the end of the day, if the if the exhibitions didn't go well, I still had two little kids to feed, and that's more important, right? Well, I started noticing that my horses started getting better because I wasn't picking at them. I didn't have time to pick at them anyway. So it was a wonderful time. I had a I had some wonderful horses and we we had a lot of success and and they were with me most of the time and anyway it was a great time in their life and mine and great learning for them they're hard workers anyway so yeah that's they love horses and when they come home um they they help out and even now Mm -hmm. but they they have a life in in the city so Yep, and that's okay. You know, so often, you know, you hear families say, oh, you know, I have three, four, or five kids, but 
not every kid has to grow up doing horses. Like, you know, we're so used to it because this is what we love, but you can't expect every child to love it. Yeah. I wanted them to get their education and they did. And then, and, and so, you know, like I think now, you know, as they get older, they probably want the, well, actually they've both tried to move out of downtown to try to get a little more space. You know, you're never, you're never going to take the country out of the girl. Mm-hmm. Um, now they enjoyed school and they enjoyed apartment life for a time in their life. But, you know, and as you, you know, they want to move back to where there's more space. And so we've, <laughs> we've worked pretty hard to try to get a little more space for them out there and still have their job in Fort Worth, which is a little bit difficult. Let's go over some of the things that you've accomplished. Cause I think that when sometimes when people hear your name, they don't associate all of all of the success that you have. So um, I'm just going to run down a few, just the top accomplishments that kind of came up whenever I did my research. So um, first, West Texas Futurity and Derby champion. You won the Elite Futurity. You've won the Speed Horse Gold Cup Futurity. You got reserve champion there, as well as reserve champion at the old Fort Days. Harlequin Futurity champion. Back in 2015, you were the San Antonio Livestock Show and Rodeo Average champion. Back in '98, you won the W or the, I'm sorry, the '98 the AQHA World Champion, and then in, which is huge in itself. Like when I when yeah. I read that, like you know, so many people just said, "Oh, she won the AQHA World Champion." Are you kidding me? Like that is something yeah. I will never do. That's freaking amazing. That's so awesome. Well, and on on that note, that was the Willie McBar years. Yeah, and, um, I went to one. I went to Fort Worth to the double to the double judged. Thing that uh-huh. people go to or uh-huh. the, the timed event there at Fort Worth. So I went to one AQHA show and then went to the world and won it. Of course, wow. he was, that was a unique, that was a super special Very animal. rare, yeah. So, yeah. Yeah, what an animal. So then one of the biggest things that really caught my attention, which in 2020, you were the champion of the BFA world. So on Gracie's Lane, and she's out of a Goodbye Lane, or she's by Goodbye Lane out of the TS Up and Famous out of Dash to Fame. So in that specific run, I did some research and found that you won with a 15.351, which, fun fact of the day, you hold the record for the only horse and rider combination to win all of the go-rounds of the BFA World Championship for the Futurity. Yes, and that was Willie Nickbar in 1997. And and uh, he, with all this time going by, and now that they've moved it, you know, and that, but still, that horse, uh, I, I, I've been so blessed. And I, one of the things I always say is that great horses make great trainers. Yes. And and uh, now I... I, I I spent my life learning, continual now learning, how to help the horses be the best they can be and to stay out of their way to the best of my ability and that. But still, uh, the, the horses make you. And they are gifts from God. I mean, honestly, I, you know, you, you, you can't make them into something they're not. You can be the best. You can try to be the best at not in, impeding their progress. But they still are what they are. And that Willie Nickbar, I used to say he was like Michael Jordan on four horseshoes. You know, mm-hmm. he loved his job. And he was such an athlete and not necessarily so easy. Uh, I did hit a lot of barrels on him. And, and he was quick. And, and he put me in front of the saddle horn one time. But anyway, <laughs> but that little horse, he he was, he. if I didn't knock a barrel over, I won first. And, uh, and he just was 
so amazing. And so every year, like that year at Oklahoma City, my whole family went. Cliff was able to go, and and I had I had won around and hit a barrel in the fall fraternities. Except for the uh, I I I won the elite fraternity or the. It was in Glen Rose, the fall fraternity. Mm-hmm. I can't remember. It wasn't the elite. I can't remember the name of that one. Yeah. But anyway, I won that one. But then after that, I would hit a barrel, win first, or win first, hit a barrel. Well, when I got to Oklahoma City, you you could have bet millions of dollars that I would not get that horse around the barrels in the same arena three times. And um, I talk about it a lot because after the two goes, the first go was beautiful. The second go was scary because mm-hmm. I did bump a barrel. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and yet he won the rounds by two and a half tenths. He was wow. just phenomenal. And then uh, the third, so that night before the short go, I mean, you can't, I needed to do something. I knew that he was getting tight. And I waited till everybody had gone to bed and I went out to the arena and I walked and trotted him around the barrels, making him give me more room mm-hmm. for probably an hour until he relaxed and gave me more room. And and then the next day, he made the most beautiful, sort of perfect space around the barrels run and still outran him two and a half tenths for the finals. So, you know, that I'm like, you know, a lot of people want to, you know, cram a horse into learning stuff and, and that, and you, you can't soar them up and you, you just can't do that. And, mm-hmm. and, uh, even, even I think back about what I was able to accomplish, just calming him down, walking him, trotting him, showing him what I wanted peacefully. And he, and he gave it to me. And, uh, and every year, every year there's a horse that scares me that might get Willie Nick Barr's a record and so far nobody's done it and it's not because I want it it's just he so deserves to have the record and he is at my house he is old and he has his calf roping horse buddy that Cliff had when they were three four and five and six years old living here and there are two little grumpy old men and they're uh they come in at night and they go out in the pasture in the day and uh anyway they get super special treatment and so I was Mm -hmm. able after he had a kind of a rough life, I was able to to acquire him, and that's another whole long story. But anyway, and he's retired here on the ranch. So anyway, and you can't tell me that horses don't remember when people. How can I word this? When horses show their appreciation when they're taken out of a bad situation or a bad scenario or um, even just put from an okay environment into a really good environment where they're just happier. Um, They're put in a healthier situation. I mean, there's a lot of scenarios we could go over, but I'm fully convinced. I don't know this for a fact, but I'm fully convinced that horses show their appreciation towards the human. You know, there's been a lot of studies done on memories, and they do have a memory. I mean, Mm -hmm. I might not say like an elephant, but they do. There have been all kinds of, so they do remember. And, uh, but anyway, and I, you know, you don't want to point fingers or anything like that, but he, he wasn't easy to ride, and he went through a series of people trying to ride him. And anyway, it's, that's a long story, which I probably shouldn't even tell it. But, <laughs> but in any case, I was able to I was able to get him and uh, uh, retiring. And I I retired him probably when he was fifteen, and he had a lot of life left in him. But by then, he he hated his job. And when he was a young guy, like I was at Pegasus at the pro rodeo at Pegasus when he was a five year old. And I was putting my rubber bands on my feet, and he bolted for the gate. And I mean, so many horses, even that are great at what they do, they, you know, they're kind of like, yeah, I'm not going to go until you make me. That little bugger saw that, and he's like, I'm going in. You know, I had to pull him up, and like, it's not our turn yet. 
put up, and he won. I know people are going to say, can you prove this? But he won that rodeo by a half a second. Wow. Yeah. So he was so special, and, and I never dreamed I would get another one even close. And yet God has blessed me with two other super special mares after him. And every time I get to make a, a good run and win, I think, oh, well, I, I hope this is not the last time, but I've already been so blessed. And I, I don't haul my horses. You know, I don't go try to make the finals. I don't go to tons of stuff. And, and I have a family and I'm grandkid now. You know, my girls took time out of my career when I was uh, younger. And now my grandkid, if he, if they need me, I, I don't go to the wherever I need to go try to take care of him. And so, you know, I have other stuff going on. So my horses often don't have the bigger numbers by their name just because I don't really get opportunity to haul them as hard but I'm very happy with the balance so really quick before I forget I want to jump back to your accomplishments because I found this out about you and I was a little bit in awe of this accomplishment was um, I read that you have held a spot in the top 10 for charity trainers for 10 consecutive years in a row I mean that's 10 years of being in the top 10 for charity trainers. That's huge. I mean, that's something that I know as a writer that I will never accomplish, but just reading that one of my idols, you as one of my idols, has done that for 10 years in a row consecutively is huge. That is something to be so proud of. How does that make you feel? Well, I am an humble person, and and I'll be honest, <laughs> I, I have this rule where if I have a great day, I let myself be happy about it until I lay my head down at night, and then the next morning you wake up at square one again, right? Mm-hmm. And so uh, uh, I, I feel blessed, and I feel, and I worked hard um, in that, and it was stressful, but uh, I don't there's so many people that have accomplished so much more um i don't feel special the the thing i feel that i have i have really when i started doing clinics i strive so hard to be correct horsemanship wise to do the best i can do to help people help the horse and communicate with it and to help people be better at what they do, not necessarily say this is my way or the highway, right? Mm-hmm. And so I am an analyst. I analyze things till, like, I would make you crazy. I mean, I, I analyze things to to the nth degree and have been blessed to study under and with and learn from some of the greatest horsemen in the world, um, which I wish I'd met those people earlier. There were horses in my past that would have been a lot happier with me had I known <laughs> some of the things I know now, but, but I feel very blessed to have been able to do that. It was, it was a great time and, and I was blessed with really good owners and really good horses and I worked really hard and that's really all I can say about that. (laughs) Yeah, that's great. Let's, let's get into talking about some of the great horses I know that your name has been associated with. And one of the top ones that was always my favorite was Martha, which is Sugar Moon Express. Um, yeah. You've been, you were the owner and trainer for the WP, she's a WPRA, AQHA Horse of the Year. And Lindsay, Lindsay Sears really took off with her. So, but you, you yeah. trained her and had her as well, a yeah, and, and I'll, I'll tell you Martha's story. So I... I had, so in 1997, I had Willie Nick Barr. The year be, the horse the year older than Willie Nick Barr was named Chicago Moon Express. And he was the number one horse, high money earning horse in Texas. And just a, just a, just a, a lovely, 
yielding. He just give you his guts every time. Mm-hmm. Well, um, I'm from New Mexico, and the guy that used to shoe our horses knew about the Martha's the Chicago Moon Express, and he called my dad and said, a client of his has some Martha Six Moon spread horses and was wondering if we would be interested, which, you know, people do that, and you look at the papers, and they're like three generations back, right? Well, the guy brought the papers by my dad's over in Lovington, and that man owned a full sister to Martha Six Moons himself. And she was 10 years old, and her name was Baby Blue Jeans. And my dad said, we need to go look at those horses. So dad and I went over, and we bought. The man wouldn't let us just buy the mare. We had to buy the mare and all three of the babies she had on the ground. There was a filly that had gotten hurt and two, a two-year-old gilding and a yearling gilding. And so we had to buy them all, which we did. We bought them all. Dad and I went in together, and it wasn't even $8,500 is all. Yeah. But anyway... Uh, that mare was thin and super healthy, and uh, I sold her then for a profit to clients of mine, um, and they bred her. They were like, well, what do we breed her to? And I'm like, well, you know, I mean, I'm no breeding expert, but the two favorite horses in my barn are Willie Nick Barr and Chicago Moon Express. Willie Nick Barr is by Dr. Nick Barr. Chicago is by Martha Six Moons, so let's breed this full sister to Martha Six Moons to, to Dr. Nick Barr, and we did. And Martha, well, they owned her. The couple that owned, the, that bought the mare from me divorced, and I bought Martha when she was two years old mm-hmm. at the Judd Little sale for $3,000. And uh, she was the second horse in the sale, and nobody mentioned her breed. You know, I don't know. It just wasn't the catalog. She wasn't cataloged properly. But anyway, and I almost felt guilty, and the woman that owned her, I'm like, look, so I felt terrible getting her for $3,000, and she said, I'm just happy you have her. Mm-hmm. Well, so I bought her as a two-year-old, and uh, basically I, I bought her mother. And anyway, so there's a long story behind that. So Martha was kind of exist because of Willie Nick Barr and Chicago Moon Express, and she had a horrible name, which I won't repeat. <laughs> but I paid the 50 bucks to, to change her name. To, and I named her kind of after Chicago, so I named her Sugar Moon Express. But anyway, mm-hmm. that was the beginning of her, and then I just trained her slowly, and uh, I uh, didn't go to very many securities that year because of there were other things going on. But anyway, I took Martha to open shows, and uh, back then you could do five-year-old and uh, five and under, cause, and I was on the BFA board, and we did that. But I was too cheap to pay her up the late fee at the security because she, she was a little late maturing, I suppose I could say, compared to trying to get her ready as a four-year-old. I didn't even attempt that. But I took her to the open at Oklahoma City to the sweepstakes and placed, I think, in the top five in both rounds on, I mean, you know, well, I won the 2D honor her maturity year and then took her the next year and, and entered her and entered her in the open. Anyway, she... She was a little late maturing, but when she started, it was great. And I had met the Searses, and they had called me about a horse, and I didn't have one. And then I never do this, but I called, and I said, oh, I took the mare to amateur rodeos throughout the summer and uh, stuff like that. Like, I took her to the places I like to go, and there was one that was that, that had rain, and my and Cliff was roping, and we stayed late uh, after he roped in the slack, and then I loped her through the barrels in the mud, and, you know, stuff like that, and piddled with her. And uh, I am not going to rodeo. I had kids and a security horse career, and I called them up, and I said, I think I have a super mare. And they, Lindsay rode her, loved her, 
and the rest was history. They she they they took you know great care of her, and Lindsay spent a lot of time here, and I flew places to to meet them along the way. And anyway, it was just the rest was history, and Lindsay did a fantastic, obvious yeah job rodeoing on that mare. But anyway, so that was her. It was a great story, and and uh, and of course, you know, rodeo horses get a lot more green time for lack of a better yeah, way to say yeah. it than fertility horses do you know i mean i i wouldn't people are like oh my gosh that's the best mare you ever had well she was super i i didn't think more of her than willie nigbar but she got more attention because she went to vegas right Correct. but anyway it was a wonderful thing and and uh and she's she's got babies out of her she's got a stud in the pink buckle out of martha and by first on dash so oh, anyway, nice. it'll be interesting to see how that goes yeah super bloodline one of the mares that i ended up selling that was uh would have been would have been martha's half sister has produced feral horses in south texas so it's a superb female line that mare anyway so that's a longer story than we need to tell but yeah i love it this is my podcast we can go as long as we want (laughs) (laughs) so then tell us a little bit about kate because i know she was a really special one that you've had in your barn Oh, yeah, so that's a whole nother long story. <laughs> they all, uh, of course, I've had really by, I would say numbers, I never ran the numbers. You know, I never took more, I never had a helper, except for my kids. I never took more horses than I could fit in my own trailer. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and I saddle on myself, I groom on myself, I do everything myself. So, you know, my operation is small. I mean, really, I one year I had eight and I thought I might die. Yeah. And, uh, anyway, so a, it I is a lot when you... Yeah, I'm sorry yeah. to be an interrupt here, but it, it is a lot when you're by yourself. So much it work. Is. And I, I like it that way, so I, I just kept it that way. But anyway, so Kate uh, came along at a time, and I, I had a partner, Cindy Gale, and I had grown up with racehorses, and I hated riding horses that came off the track. I just hated it. And, and I got talking about, would love to ride these I love speed and I've always only mostly rode racehorses because that's what dad was obsessed with but uh the ones I would have loved to have had well-bred ones that didn't get ruined at the track and I know that I'm gonna offend some track people and some people are great at taking those horses and doing something but I really I got tired of it well this partner and I decided to go to Redosa to the All-American sale and look at horses and we were literally people almost spit on us back then and uh because if you're at the, if you buy one of those horses off the track back in the old days, well, then those people know that that horse is not going to get black type to help their next horse sell, right? Yeah. In the catalogs. And so they really despised barrel, barrel racers. Plus, we didn't pay big money. Like nowadays, barrel racers are top of the food chain, and I never dreamed we would get here. That's a whole nother story. Uh, Kate was purchased at a time when a barrel racer owning an own daughter of First Down Dash and not sending her to the racetrack was hugely frowned upon. Mm-hmm. And I mean frowned upon aggressively by some of my track friends were just indignant about the fact that we had her here uh, and did not send her to the racetrack. It was, you know, some of them pretty offended me. But uh, but anyway, and then the barrel racers back then were a little bit offended too because, I mean, a, a first down dash, uh, you, they, you didn't see them at the in the barrel racing world because i mean crippled ones were fifty thousand for broodmare potential Jeez. i mean he was top of the food chain back then she was out of a producing mare anyway so the way she came into my life was uh very uh strange and unexpected and and then training her was difficult i 
I, uh, she was so fast, so quick, and while her disposition was golden, she could be top speed in two strides, and I could barely stay in the middle of her, and then her mouth was super sensitive. And so my normal training wasn't working very good. You know, I rode in Loomis's back then, and uh, while she rode around in it good, it, it when the speed hit her, I, it was just, it was awkward. And people would come watch me not do well on her and kind of, you know how people are. But anyway, mm-hmm. it was uncomfortable. And, uh, but anyway, my, uh, one, one day in the summer, and I, I'm going to, I tell this, but you know, Cliff, my husband, and we have a barn full of old rope and bits and clappers and all kind of cool bits. Cliff said, I think I'd get something I could stop that bitch with. <laughs> and, uh, and I, I was so mad, but I thought, you know what, he's got a point. Well, so I started thinking about her. And because she was a lovely-minded mare, like, I never felt like she wasn't trying to please me. But when I had to take a hold of her, she thought her mouth was killing her. Mm-hmm. And uh, and so I got an Andrews, an old Andrews bit that was smooth, fat mouthpiece with a little bit of a port. And I was able to, 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 to get her to be comfortable. Now, I couldn't run her in it, but I could trainer in it and in the fall uh after having a spring of misery while people because she cost six figures and back that doesn't sound like much now but i'm telling you back then even my friends were kind of like okay you know you're riding this horse that cost that much money and you can't even get her to turn the first barrel right Mm -hmm. well anyway in the fall uh the first fall fraternity i took her to after having ridden her in the rope and bridles uh i mean she i was at waco and she turned that first barrel, and she won first. I mean, the first time I got her to turn the first barrel, she won first place. And so, anyway, it was she was tricky to train, uh, but but I I would I wouldn't I wouldn't go back for all the tea in China. And uh, she ran the fastest time in Oklahoma City, and then I made the mistake of letting her. I I didn't do well on the short go, but and I had another horse that year, uh, Dash to Fame. And he, he did really well and stuff. But those two horses were the fastest two horses I've ever swung a leg over in my life. And I had had a four-year break from fraternities because I'd broken my leg. Anyway, it was an interesting, stressful time in my life. And while it was glorious in the end of the year, that year had just been probably one of the most high-pressure, stressful years I have ever survived. And I, I had started giving clinics. Because I waited until I thought I had enough knowledge. So I was given clinics. I got these two racehorses, Kate being one of them. And uh, uh, JB, one famous dude, was the dash to fame. So I had these two high-powered racehorses that came from the Select Selma in Redosa. And uh, both of them out of Blue Hen mares and super fast. And I've, I've four years I've been given clinics, training horses, and not competing, right? Mm-hmm. So then I get back on these horses after an injury to try to come to compete and i'm telling you it was a struggle which those kind of things make you a better teacher um because i'm telling you that was hard and i had had a good career before that and then i had taken that break and uh oh man and then i'm a little older and then i had broken my leg and then i'm riding these two riding kate and this other horse and you know really people you know people said some pretty tacky things and and i i had a lot of pressure and I really, sometimes I would wake up and think, why have I put myself in this position? But it, it, it turned out beautifully. The end of the year, Kate won around, Dash won around, 
I ended up winning second in the fraternity that year, and I survived it. And uh, so, you know, that's been it. That year, as far as my clinics go, I've been able to, I think, help a lot of people get through high pressure or after injury or people expecting more than you think you can give. There's just a whole gamut of life lessons that I learned in that year. And then Kate, after that, she cut through both big tendons on her front leg after she became high profile. I don't know how she did it in her pen. And, and, and when I took her to the vet, we didn't know if she would even be able to be safe for broodmare. I'll get choked up over this because it was so traumatic. And, you know, you keep reminding yourself as a horse, but she just was so special and she has a heart of gold and just really, if she could live in my house, she probably would. Well, anyway, my vet is awesome and he believes in God. And, and I have a, uh, my daughters both went to private school and I had this friend there and I was talking about Kate, you know, the people at the ball games would ask me about my life. And I was, so I was telling them a little bit about it and they don't know anything about horses. And this one lady said, well, I'm going to pray for Kate. And I said, Oh gosh, you know, I, I believe in God wholeheartedly. I'm, I'm a born-again Christian, and I, my dad had cancer, and I pray for everything, but I never pray to win, and I try to keep things in perspective, right, with mm-hmm. the horses. But this lady was so sweet. She said, well, I'm just going to pray for her anyway. So I, I, I say, so three years later, Kate is winning at the pro rodeos, and my vet can't believe it. Anyway, I say my vet and God mm-hmm. saved her life. Anyway, so she uh, will never leave this this place, and she's seventeen now, and I've got she's carrying a goodbye lane. <laughs> anyway, yeah. so uh, carried me to a win at San Angelo, and I mean I've fallen off of her a couple of times because <laughs> she is so powerful, and I went around at Houston on her, and I you know I I never dreamed I would get another horse as fast. I mean she was so fast that it was just, you know, way, really way more speed than you ever need running barrels. But anyway, she's a unique, she's kind of a unique thing in the fact in her being an own daughter of First John Dash and, and being a barrel horse. And anyway, she's very special mm-hmm. and very black and very big and very, very beautiful inside and out. Yeah, what a unique story, you know. And especially when they get injured like that, that's just so heartbreaking. And to hear that she had such a good comeback was, that's amazing. Yeah. It was unreal. I, I lasered that leg twice a day, every day when I was home. And, you know, you know, we, when, when they saved her, when they knew she could be saved, uh, then my vet was like, you'll, you'll never ride her again because her ten, those, those ligaments were like a wad of not, of, they were like a knot in there. And they, they have to be linear to be strong. Mm-hmm. And that literally he, he still, he can't believe she healed yeah. like that. I mean, it just really is a, it is really a, it's a miraculous story, and, you know, a lot of people don't know that about her. Your latest true love has been about Gracie's Lane, so let's talk a little bit about her. <laughs> yeah, so a whole other story. Like, I, of course, my horses, and I, I will say this, in the last years, I've been blessed to own them. Uh, the horses in the past, I loved them, but, you know, you, you have to do what's best for the owner. You know, like when William Nickbar had to get sold, you know, I couldn't afford to buy him. Well, anyway, these guys, I ended up owning Kate, so I never let her be sold. And and anyway, uh, on a rodeo trip with Kate uh, in Utah, I after Salt Lake City, I realized that it's going to be midnight when I get through, and I have nowhere to spend the night with her. And so I call a friend, Kimmy Wall, 
and she says, oh, yeah, I got friends. I got friends, and they'll be happy to let you come stay there. And uh, But she said, they got a stud. They're going to want you to their horses, and I'm okay, no problem. Well, so it was Mark and Linda Jarvis's house mm-hmm. in Spanish Fork, Utah, and I called them. They don't know me from Adam. I told him Kimmy Wall gave me their name. They said, no problem, come on. He waited up for me. It was 1 o'clock in the morning cool. when I got there. And I spend the night with the Jarvises. And the next day, we what? We go look at their horses. And uh, back to my father, who had this special interest in a horse with a big shoulder and that stepped over their tracks from the back to the front. Like Anyway, when we looked at that stud, the Goodbye Lane, all I all I could think about was this is Dad's perfect horse and mm-hmm. I love him. Well, I left that trip, came home, couldn't quit thinking about it. I went back two weeks later and stayed with them again at some rodeos, and just couldn't help it. And I bought two babies from them. And this was before anybody knew who the Goodbye Lane was. You know, I just like fell in love with them, and it, and, and then and so then I became kind of obsessed because all the babies were beautiful, and uh, I got to pick from you know was, you know you can pick one of these two, and I picked Gracie, and then I picked this other younger one, and I sold her and shouldn't have. She's winning with a girl in South Texas uh, but anyway uh, I uh, I uh, d- managed to be at the right place at the right time and people I have friends and they're like you know I tell them you know what do you breed to people are always asking it I'm like oh my gosh you got to breed to the goodbye lane and I would have to tell them I would try to tell them his story because he, he himself has got a super unique story uh, in in his stallion career my friends that did take my advice, they were like, oh, you're so smart. Well, I'm not smart. I just happened to be at the right place at the right time. And they are close friends of mine. And literally, if I could breed everything or just right, I, I just love them. But yeah. anyway, Gracie is the one I bought. And uh, she, my, uh, I didn't try to train her real quick. And I didn't run her until she was a, a five-year-old. But I, I uh, took her to... And my, I have a grandkid, like I said, and I have all this going on, and I didn't haul her as much as I should have uh, to try to get ready, but I took her to, like, two exhibitions, and she, the first time I took her to an exhibition, and I was just here in my little tiny hometown, they rolled the barrels off the stakes like they do for exhibitions, and so she was, the exhibitions were on the longer stakes, and she ran a time that would have won the open, which there weren't 30 people there. But I was like, yeah, that cannot be real. You know, I blew it off. Anyway, uh, the next time I took her, it happened again. And the first fraternity I took her to, she ran the fastest time. And really, she ran, I only took her to four fraternities, I think. And she ran the fastest time at every one of them. Wow. And, uh, yeah, and then at the pink buckle that year, she, she was leaving the third barrel so strong pull i dropped my bridle rein like of course some some things have happened to you you know and she shot off toward the toward the wall and i had to gather myself back up get the rein straighten her back out and she still ran the fastest time of the fraternity and i mean we have all like you know i'm like oh you know we were like what would she have run you know kind of see around a 69 i think and anyway i'm like i don't know which is more fun people speculating on what she would have run or being so amazed that she could be off in the wrong direction and then have to like be stopped and yeah i mean not stop but you know if you have Gathered to change up, yeah. the direction anyway she has been an another very special gift from god i just i just can't i just can't believe 
and that she is so special. Cliff kept saying, I think she's faster than Kate. I'm like, there's no way. And people would say, you know, I said something, I'll never get another one like Kate. And, and the, Linda Jarvis one day said, well, you've got Gracie. You know, she's a three-year-old. And I was thinking, oh, yeah, right. Mm-hmm. But guess what? I do think Gracie is faster than Kate. Now, I'm not saying if they were running 440 yards in a straight line. But Gracie's smoother in her turns, and anyway, whatever. She's so fast, I I can barely stay in the middle of her, and I I just have been so blessed. And she's she's going to be eight this year, and I went to a few rodeos and placed on her last year, and mm-hmm. I'm keeping her as well. So I feel very tickled. Yeah, well, and it's so it's so different when you have two excellent horses like Gracie and Kate. Like you said, if you put them on in a straightaway and just all out, let them run, they might be equal. But one, you know, everybody's style is a little bit different. Some are a little bit snappier. Some have a bigger stride. You know, I've seen some of the fastest horses, like, you know, just watching the American recently, you know, you've got all these top 1D horses in the country. And I'm like, that horse wasn't even running. And it ran like fourth in in, in the finals, yeah. you know, so they don't I know, even. It's crazy. Yeah, so everybody, every every style is different. Every horse is different. Their backs are different. Their hawks are different. Their legs are different. Yeah. Their minds are different. You know, some wrap around the barrel. Some, you know, look at uh, Haley Kinsel's horse sister. She runs real straight and she kind of squares up around the barrel. So every horse yeah. is a little bit different. It just depends on their body, how they're trained. We could go on for an hour about that, but everyone's different. Yeah, you People know, forget that. When I was. When I was training more fraternity horses and training for the public, I, you know, people would ask me what I thought. Well, what, what I, what I can tell you about a horse is, is how they learn, what their work ethic is like. But I never, ever let myself judge if they were going to be a winner or not. Because no joke, when Willie Nickbar went to his first fraternity, he was a second off, and I remember Mike Green said. That little horse has a cool style, but do you think he can run? And I remember saying, I don't know. Yeah. You know, and Cliff and I talked, well, I mean, a month after that, you can't outrun that little sucker. Mm-hmm. And and granted, his speed is not like Gracie's, and and his speed is not like Kate's, but anyway, it but but he but but something he could do was spectacular. And and so, you know, I never ever try to judge him. Uh, you know, I judge them on, say, maybe work ethic or if they're happy about their job and, 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 and their learning abilities, you know. But you really don't know um, until you clock them. Yeah. And, then, and then some people, and this is one thing I'm just going to, this is a soapbox thing. One comment that I don't like. I don't like it when people say things like, if the horse doesn't jump out there and make you think it's going to be a winner. You should just get another one. I really despise right. that. Because right. for one thing, I would have not many people would have stuck with Kate and uh, and that and and, and 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 I will consider her my magnum opus in mm-hmm. my life. I mean, she wasn't easy. But what if I had judged her by the first half of her maturity year? What would I have missed? Right. And 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 so and I and so you know, and my dad was kind of a sucker for a hard case. He used to get horses that needed kind of rehab, and he would work on them and that. And maybe I get that from him, but I really, really, really kind of resent that kind of thinking. And uh, and you know, I get it. People that are paying a trainer, you know, they may not want to or be able to afford to keep it there for six months before you can get it turned. Or I don't know. But anyway, I really I don't believe in that. So yeah. now you get a horse like Gracie. The, the, the very first day you take her out and she kind of ruined me for my next cult because I do have my first to, to try to security my first horse 
out of cave by streak of fling i have a, a beautiful roan gilding and uh, mm-hmm. i took him to check the other day for the first time and he's a second and a half off and he's five and i was thinking what is wrong with me well gracie spoiled me because and i really am not i'm not i'm not training for the public anymore and uh i rodeoed on cave and then i did i did train gracie and go to a few futurities and that, but then this colt, I've been bringing him along. I'm I'm slow as Christmas these days training them, which is fine with me. Mm-hmm. But anyway, I I I forgot what it's really like to season one because Gracie didn't need it, you know. So she's one of those other kind of horses. But anyway, that's you know that's a that's a whole that's a whole other story. But but I you know they're all different. Like like you were saying, they're all different. They come along differently, and mm-hmm. uh, you know one of the things I feel super happy with. I have the, I own them, and if I have the ability to wait on them, and I will. So anyway, yeah. I'm you know I'm 60 years old now, and I you know it's a it's a fun place to be. Um, when I was training for the public, you know you you've got to try to it's got to be worth the owner's while, and the horses are often you know caught in the crossfires of that, but not not here anymore. So I'm I'm very blessed in that way. Going back into the training, what kind of exercises do you like to incorporate to keep your horses smooth and broke? Well, I, I'm uh, all about a broke horse, and, and I'm all about horsemanship. And while I, you know, I, I, I agree a horse that hides behind the bridle is no good, but, they, but they've got to be able, they've got to be able to pick their middle up break at the pole to move their shoulders. And so I have obsessed over years of learning uh, and been blessed to be around people like Ian Francis. I've been able to do clinics with him for years. And he, if you don't know who Ian Francis is, he's an Australian, in my opinion, the world's greatest horseman. Mm-hmm. And uh, learned so much from him that I wish I'd known when I was younger. But I, I like them broke to start with. So that, you know, a broke horse can move his body parts and communicate with the rider, right? And so um, extremes are, are bad at, on all levels. But, you know, because people will kind of, you know, there's a lot of people that be like, you know, I want to break them at the pole because, well, yeah, if they're overbroke or hiding behind the bridle, well, then you're in a bad place. But if they don't know how to break at the pole and their head's up in the air, well, then their shoulders are locked. Anyway, I, I could talk about horsemanship for days as well. Yeah. But yeah. Um, so I really like them to be broke. I don't do that myself. I have a, a guy that does that for me named Kevin Parker, who's as old as I am. But anyway, um, but the exercises, you know, once I get them to a certain place, I really, really, really love this one exercise. And I do teach it at my clinics. And I'm positive that there are Barrel Horse News article and maybe and YouTube videos on it. And I call it the pinwheel drill. I learned it from Ian Francis. Well, actually, Ian has a... He has a, had a drill that he did with his cow horses, and Clinton Anderson did it, and he called it pin. He called it flower power, and basically, Ian originated it, and I learned it from Ian, and then I modified it for barrel racing. And so uh, the original drill, they just go and double back, and I make a couple of circles. But anyway, you can look that up. Mm-hmm. It's, it's hard to. It's a little bit difficult to just describe. And then, uh, but I love that, that, that exercise all by itself, whether you're just trotting it or loping it, I, I use that exercise to help my hand technique, help me sit, help me use my feet, help the horse lift their shoulder, help the horse 
power away from the turn, build strength in their core and in their in their drive. It's just there's just nothing in that exercise that can't benefit a barrel horse, and there's no barrel involved, which really is beneficial. So you're not stressing them out running around the barrels. That's but even better. Yeah. And your communication with them, and so that is that's actually that one exercise I would say is a key to what I do with mine. And if I was going to pick one thing, and it's a key when I do a clinic to help people realize how they're affecting their horse with their bodies, uh, how to use your hand, you know. Anyway, it's just everything. I just there's just nothing that I can't fix or or uh, build in that exercise and so and i call it the pinwheel drill and i know that there's stuff online you can read about it and see it maybe uh, yeah. i know racers edge we did one mm-hmm. and i'm on gracie and so um and, and we did that and i'm sure that's somewhere on the web and yeah. that and then another thing i do on some of the horses i do all same directions on a but not close to the barrel i i will load two circles around every barrel i'll do all rights all less and you've got to keep in mind that you've got to stay in the middle of the triangle if you go to the outside you're doing bad things but anyway mm-hmm. that's another thing that i do uh with them and and that's what often the horses that are trained i may just do the all same directions uh because that you know like and it's about probably i'd say an eight foot circle total you know so the with the barrel in the dead center and i'm obsessed with perfectly round circles so that's what keeps the horse's body balanced uh shoulder up inside leg reaching up under him but anyway i do that more for conditioning plus it also helps them relax about you know maybe not trying to turn too hard so anyway those are my two favorites good uh, so a few episodes back, I had a really good conversation with Maggie Plonsick, and we talked about conditioning horses and different theories that go along with that. How do you keep your horse's lungs and their legs up and going? Um, you know, and age is a big thing on this, you know. Yes. Like a younger horse stays, they stay in shape longer than an older horse. So, you know, you can't, you know, one of my, when I'm teaching a clinic or talking to people or getting asked questions, one of my favorite words is discernment because people say, well, how many days a week do you exercise your horse? Well, there's no set days a week. It depends on what's fixing to happen to them, how old they are, what level of training they're in. So it, it varies and you have to have the ability to know how much is enough and how much is too much. Um, one of the things Ian Francis says is, uh, yeah, if you ride them through the good to get to the bad, you know, you need to know when to stop. And, um, and I've read articles by professionals who think that one of the main problems in our all disciplines is people riding them too long, too hard, too much. And you, and you get them sore and wear them out. Right. Mm -hmm. And so, um, I don't, I'm not going to say I can say. Uh, scientifically exactly but you know once they get in shape I think that once I get on and I may put them on my walker and walk them for a bit I do that a lot and then get on uh, trot I don't trot the older horses a lot because trotting is like jogging and it's a little harder on their joints but anyway um, and probably my whole workout on a trained horse will be from start to finish 20 minutes that's in shape and so you know you I don't know I would there's intervals, you know, where I, you know, when they're not in very good shape, they've been laid off, you know, I will get on them, walk them on the walker, then get on and then lope, you know, several minutes 
and then let them walk to catch their air and then lope several minutes more, you know, and that, and just start to build them up. And then once they get in shape, I, I don't have to ride them as long. And yeah. so and that's my a theory on that. And I'm not saying it's a hundred percent and, hmm. and there's so many variations. I couldn't say an exact amount of time sure. uh, per, per horse per day. It just depends on the horse. And if they're going to go, you know, if you're just legging up a two-year-old or your three-year-old, you know, well, they're, you know, they're in training. Those guys kind of stay in shape because, you know, they're, you know, it's hard on them. They're, they're being trained. Then, then once you get them trained, well, then you start worrying about now how do I keep them like that? Like that, what you said about how do I keep their lungs in shape and that and the, and I know people that jog them or lope them for for miles. I I don't do that. Like once they get in shape, you know, I I try not to overdo uh, the riding time. Yeah. And I think so often we see people share screenshots and stuff of, oh, well, I went on an eight-mile trail ride or, you know, we loped two and a half miles today. It's like, great. Yeah. Or my 18-year-old mare that's uh, on the end of her career, she more than likely is not going to be loping three miles today. Right. And, and I will say that on the note of walking, like years and years and years ago, I had a mare named Color Me Magnolia, which we didn't get to talk about her, but was pivotal in my career. And uh, Celia Ray trained her. The mare was crippled when I bought her. I knew it. I bought her anyway. And uh, her hawks were bad. She and uh, but she. I won San Antonio on her. I won San Angelo on her. I mean, and she. She anyway. She was. She was a flake. A flaky, nervous acting mare. But uh, my vet said, if you will walk her for forty-five minutes instead of loping her for four or five, you're going to be healthier and Ooh. not beat her joints up as bad. Nice. You know. So there's. There's. Uh, I mean, you got to lope them some, you know. But anyway. I, I learned a lot from handling a horse back when I had her. Uh, I learned a lot about a horse, about how to get a horse in shape, keep them in shape without beating them to death even way back then. Yeah. Because her body wouldn't take it. So I know you've been super successful in the futurity industry, and I don't think a lot of people associate you with such a stellar career. And after I contacted you a few weeks ago to set up our interview, I started doing my homework like I usually do. And I really surprised myself and actually how little that I knew about you, even after being a, a super fan after all these years. So I have a you have a crap ton of success in the futurity pen, but you also have really good success behind the camera and doing clinics, which... I am sure is not been a walk in the pasture for you. So you've been all over the country and traveling across the world doing clinics. So uh -huh. since you've been across the world, what's the difference in the barrel industry like? I know you've been to Australia specifically and Canada. So what's it like in other countries that you've been to? Well, um, for one thing, they often, well, both Australia and Canada have much harsher conditions than what I live in here in little old bubble world, Texas, right? Mm -hmm. So like in Canada, the ground freezes, even in those buildings. And so those people, those horses are tough now. I'm telling you, tough. You know, I, you know, I, I used to kind of, after I started doing clinics up there, and I have lots of friends up there, and people be like, well, we're going to rodeo in Canada. I'm like, yeah, I don't think I have a horse tough enough. And I know over time, things have changed, and they have got more indoors, and, and they've gotten more They've gotten some better venues and that and, and that. But basically, they live in a fairly harsh climate, right? 
And so they have a lot to deal with, with weather and just taking care of a horse up there. Like, you know, you could kill one in a trailer if you get him sweaty and put him in your trailer and drive home and it's 40 below outside. I mean, they deal with a lot of harsh harsh uh environment that is that i just have a huge amount of respect for them and i mean countrywide from quebec all the way to bc Mm -hmm. um i've been all over up there and so and that and they are they are tough people they're gritty people they got gritty horses and uh, australia not not cold climate but they have to travel like they might have to drive 15 hours to go to a rodeo Mm. and uh, when i first started going to australia they didn't do exhibitions so they would have to like season their horses at the rodeos they went to anyway and same thing plus the in australia too now things are changing there as well but you know they didn't have the money to run at that we have here and so they didn't have the ability to make as much money with horses but i will tell you the best horsemen in the world live in that country and uh, that's where ian francis is from and they have uh they have a cross of horse down there that 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 has got a kind of a lot of thoroughbred in it and they've imported bloodlines too from here as well but they are off they are super horsemen down there like they in australia they got what they call pony club and all these little towns have pony clubs so many of the people grow up riding english Hmm. and stuff so yeah so they have a lot of horsemanship down there and they you know the girl that lives with us and works for us and has for 10 years worked on a station in australia uh for 10 years where they are i mean literally the closest like literally you had to fly to the hospital or you had to fly to a town and they had thirty thousand head of cattle they broke their own horses uh they butchered their own beef i mean the the supply truck comes through once a year to you know anyway just the uh, the that old saying the author of uh the what is that the author of invention necessity is the author of invention right yeah well a lot of the conditions down there those people they have learned to break a horse and handle cattle with low-key uh intelligent you know ways to do it so that you don't get hurt or hurt the horses anyway they just you know they've had a it's a much harsher existence than what we have here and uh and they are uh, they are better horsemen for it so anyway and i've been to brazil uh once in brazil and i will say brazil uh on the on the opposite you know there's some harsh conditions down there in brazil in some ways but they they have the most beautiful arenas that are all standard pattern. The ground is all the same, and they have imported the best horses in the world. So, right. You know, they only imported horses that won money. So when I was there, that that was that's in eye opening because everything that they had was really, really, really well done. And so, and they and I have a lot of friends from there too. But anyway, but yeah, it's so fun to to see, and so makes you appreciate where we live you know that and and appreciate the hardships that other people um have to deal with i want to segue into talking about change in our industry and things about change so i recently came across an article where you were talking about change and specifically the year that you had broke your leg then you lost your parents you lost your mental attitude and you really had to build a whole new chapter in your career and so often I feel that life really throws us some nasty stuff. And I think that, you know, quote, the ugly stuff really isn't talked about in our industry. And whether 
whether people are just scared of judgment or want to keep things private, you know, whatever that may be in their life. But I feel, I felt a real connection with you the minute that I read that. Cause I also lost my parents four months apart in 2012. So I can very much relate to you. So, so, I mean, we all have hardships, lame horses, sick horses, broke down rigs, empty bank accounts, you know, but I really, I really think you're the true meme that your comeback was stronger than your setback. Um, you truly, you are. I read that and I was like, that is such a great meme for her. But t- talk to us a little bit about the change in your mental book, so to say, that you had to go through during all that. Because I think it's something that everybody goes through, but nobody talks about. Right. So first off, I'm going to say I couldn't have survived any of that without God. I. That's what I'm grounded on and um, uh, what keeps me grounded. You know, I mean, you know, there's no promise that you're going to have, you know, an easy time throughout your whole life. And and so when stuff comes your way, you you either you either deal with it or or you're or you're ruined, you know, and 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 I don't and I mean, and it's not just not getting to win on a horse. I mean, it there are. You know, there are people that haven't dealt with things well who's really and truly their lives are become a mess. And so I'm very, I, 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 I honestly, like my getting through that stuff, God keeps me grounded, keeps my focus um, as hard as it may be. You just have to say, I have to keep going. And when I look back on this, I will understand the reason for it in retrospect. But right now, whether I understand it or not, you put one foot in front of the other. And, uh, and so that, you know, that would be in a nutshell. Uh, you mm-hmm. know, when you're talking about losing family members that you love, and, um, and I have children that I, you know, you fear for them. I, you know, I, I just, you know, that stuff, sometimes I, I've, been, I've been guilty as much as anybody. You know, like, I mean, if Kate got hurt or if Gracie gets hurt, literally, I have to be like, okay, remember that it's your horse and not your kid. Right. You know, because mm-hmm. I, I love them and, and I stress over that stuff. But I try to keep things in perspective by keeping my eyes on God. And I'm not the best person in the world. And, you know, you say things like that. You know, people are like, oh, I've heard her cuss. Yep, I have. I've, I have. I've done a lot of things I shouldn't do. But, but that is that is what I try to focus on and, and, and not to go into anything, you know, more serious, but in these last two to three years, I would say if, if there's ever been, uh, if, if there's ever been more of a time that we need to focus on God, it's now, but, uh, but my whole life, uh, definitely I've been, I've, I've not been a perfect Christian and I've, you know, had all kinds of stuff happen and I've done things I shouldn't, but getting through those times, you know, sometimes, well, a lot of times, that's when you get clarity because you do you do put things in perspective and you do come to grips with what's the most important and that that doesn't kill me makes me stronger. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, I, mm-hmm. I don't know what else to say about that. But, you know, my yeah. parents, that was tough and... And, you know, during that time, uh, you know, from on the note of talking about the horses, I, I knew in the back of my mind uh, that year and the next, I, I kind of knew that I needed to get to use Kate while I had her. But I, I did a little bit, but I didn't get to go a lot because dad needed me 
and my sister Terry to stay there, and we took turns. So we 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 I basically kind of lived back in Lovington for six months, and uh, or more. It was it was a, a long time, but anyway, you know. But but what was more important? You know, my time with my dad. And, you know, had I as much as the horses in there, my career mean to me. You know, and I will say, you know, I I was blessed enough to have that. You know, I I don't have an eight to five job, so mm-hmm. I was able to take care of that stuff. It's hard to balance, and when real life kicks you in the teeth, and if it's losing a horse that you're making a living with, or uh, you know, or more importantly, a loved one, it's hard to put one foot in front of the other but you know I just um I don't feel sorry I I don't feel sorry for myself you know you can always always find somebody worse off and you can always find somebody better off Mm -hmm. and uh the one time in my life I I I sometimes tell this story I got kind of wanting to have a pity party and I was mad and my kid was playing basketball, and she I didn't go on this one trip, and she was getting the shaft, and I was thinking to myself, I'd try to do everything right, and uh, and, uh, and, it, and it's not going right, and I was kind of like, you know, I was kind of acting like a brat. Like, in the eyes of God, that would be pretty bratty, because I have a very blessed life, you know? Well, I got kicked by this mare. I was in a bad mood. She was a bad mare. And I had been pussyfooting around her for six months, and I was out there, and I was I was in a bad mood. And I'll be honest with you, I've been smarter in the past not to go back to the house, like on days like that. You know, mm-hmm. you just kind of like, okay, I think I don't need to be around a horse today if I don't have any more self-control than this. Well, I, I was out there with this mare, and I just thought, I'm like, you know what? It, pardon my French, but it's time for you to put up or shut up, mare. Right. And she kicked the ever-loving poo out of me and uh broke my leg i thought i was gonna die and uh, i was laying there on the ground and i could have died but anyway i was laying there on the ground and i'm telling you like i was thinking oh and that also same year i had been i was aggravated at say clients i'd had and just every i was having basically semi thinking about being miserable with what what my life was like i mean you know you should never do that but anyway i'm not saying that some people don't really have it have it bad but I'm laying there on the ground. I, all, I was like, oh, dear Lord, please don't let me die. I'm sorry for being a, a brat and, and for having a pity party and feeling sorry for myself and all that kind of stuff. Well, then I realized I'm not going to die. And then I'm like, oh, God, please just let me be able to ride a horse again. <laughs> I really, anyway, it, and so, you know, it's, I laugh about it now, but really it it was a life-changing experience. And uh, anyway, and that, that was my broken leg. And so that was starting the four years when I was not competing, when I got Kate and and uh, and uh, the the Dash of Fame, JD, one famous dude. Anyway, and then that started that. But anyway, that moment I will never forget because I don't even when mom, you know, then things happen that are real, like mom and dad dying, mm-hmm. and uh, you know, well, you still you have to just have faith in God, and you can't feel sorry for yourself you have to keep moving forward and 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 as hard as it is uh that's what you got to do so that's the way I feel like I got through that stuff and I still miss them so terribly bad but you know then now with all the stuff that's happened in the world both my parents would have been so miserable in New Mexico with all this COVID crap and that yeah. and, you know maybe yeah. God took them because they needed to not have to live through that with their particular health issues. One question that I ask every guest that I have on the show is 
Um, if you could change anything about the horse industry, what would it be? Oh, yeah. So I was thinking about that. And uh, uh, our industry, I'm just going to say, I never dreamed I would live to see it be like it is now. Like, honestly, like I was talking about back when we used to go, I grew up with the racehorses and stuff, but, you know, you didn't want to mention being a barrel racer. And also, you know, we've been uh, looked down our nose at with, uh, you know, people about horsemanship and, and everything's changing. You know, we are no longer bottom feeders. You know, now everybody wants to be in the barrel horse right. business. Right, yeah, yeah. And how fun is that? So there's so many things that are just wonderful that I never dreamed we would get to. But um, I suppose if I'm going to be kind of nitpicky, uh, I really don't like that so many of the rodeos are becoming limited. Now, rodeo is not my number one thing, but I like to do it when I get to keep a horse like Gracie. And uh, I, I don't like the idea that I would have to, like, run her legs off one year just to try to qualify for the big rodeos in the winter. And uh, mm -hmm. I love San Angelo because everybody gets to go. And, and it's tough because everybody gets to go, right? And But everybody has a chance. And so I suppose that's a, that's a kind of a pet peeve. And I understand all the politics behind it and why the committees are doing it, but I don't like it. Yeah. Um, it, it makes it hard on people getting started. Uh, it makes it hard on weekend warriors like myself. And I know that people wouldn't think of me as that, but it, when the, in the rodeo world, I'm kind of a weekend warrior. I don't get mm -hmm. to just stay gone and, uh, and that. But, uh, but anyway, so that's buggy. I don't really like that. And, and, uh, and so, and my other kind of pet peeve is the, the reporting. And I have, I have tried to talk to people that had control of this for, I guess, since we started having the slot races. I don't like it when the horse that won the slot race and outruns 40 or 50 gets a bigger headline than the horse that outrun the 250 in the big fraternity. Exactly. I, so, and that's just reporting. Now, the slot races are great. You know, all that stuff is great. It's, it's opportunities for, you know, there's opportunities for every kind of people in the, in the industry. But, I, but the reporting of it, you know, to me, the horse that outruns the bulk of the horses, that's the horse I want to read about. Yeah. So, anyway, that's one little pet peeve. Yeah. I doubt yeah. that either one of those things are going to change, but anyway, <laughs> those are my little pet peeves. <laughs> that's all right. That's, it's your pet peeves. That's, it's your soapbox. You can talk about whatever you yeah. want. So to kind of wrap things up, I'm going to get into my favorite part of the podcast, which is my rapid fire questions. Now, these are just random questions that um, actually my husband and I got together on the airplane on the ride here on vacation the other day. So oh, I forgot to say that I am uh, recording live from Punta Cana, Dominican Republic today. <laughs> so I'm jealous. I'm so jealous. I love the beach. Yes, actually, the, it rained a little bit ago, so I we all came in, and I'm like, everybody needs to leave. i got to record, so everybody get out. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so these are just 10 rapid-fire questions, things that we came up with. Answer to the best of your ability. Are you ready? Yep. All right, question number one. Do you have any barn cats? Uh, lots of barn cats. Maine Coons. Uh, My barn yep. cats are Maine Coons. <laughs> Two, how many horses do you currently own? Oh, probably about 20. Three, rodeo or jackpot? That I like rodeos. <laughs> Four, best concert you've ever been to? Oh my gosh. I don't like concerts. I can't even remember. <laughs> even when you were college. younger? None of them? Yes, I know. I know. I'm weird that way. I didn't like the people and people throwing up on me. And 
Wait in line for the bathroom beer. I went to it. Yeah, I went to a Journey concert, and I thought I was just gonna. I thought I wasn't gonna survive it. So yeah, no, I don't know about that. All right, we'll skip that. Five favorite song to karaoke to. That's difficult. Nobody wants to hear me sing. <laughs> okay, so after after three after three drinks, what's your favorite song to karaoke to? Okay, so this is terrible, but I'm sort of I, alcohol gives me indigestion, and so. I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> I'm not really much of a party animal, and I never actually was, so I really am not too good at that. Okay. I do love a lot of songs, but... Okay, well, what's, what's, what's your favorite song? We'll start with that. I think my favorite song right now is Oceans. It, I don't know if that's the actual name of it. Number six, Chinese or Mexican? Chinese. Seven, when was the last time you had a terrible hangover? Probably college. <laughs> That's maybe good. just once. Yeah. I don't know. I maybe once. I can't even. I really didn't even in college party very much. That's all right. Eight. Did you ever get your butt whooped as a kid? Uh, I got whipped at the principal's office for trying to protect my cousin that was twice my size in about the third grade. Ah, perfect. Number nine. Favorite rodeo or event that Joe Beaver announces because we all love Joe Beaver. I guess the finals. He does such a good job. <laughs> 10. If you could ride any horse on earth, who would it be? Oh, it would still be Gracie. Oh, it would still be her. Yeah. Oh, that's perfect. Yeah, because yeah, I'll, I'll, I'm going to tell you about those people wanting to ride those great horses. You couldn't pour me on sister because how bad would you look? <laughs> anyway, I, uh, I don't have the desire to ride other people's great horses because I would be in fear of not doing them justice. Right. That would be hard. Yeah, I, I, I always think that. I always think, oh, I would, I would love to get on, like, all these, you know, wonderful NFR horses, but I wouldn't be able to ride it because I'm a 2, 3D rider at best, and I know it. Well, I don't care if you're a 1D rider. Getting on somebody else's 1D horse is not all that easy. Yeah. <laughs> you should. Well, thank you for being such a great sport and hanging out with today. I know that your schedule is super busy, but where are you off to next? Well, I'm actually going to go to a jackpot on Saturday, and I'm trying to get my five-year-old that I have neglected to be a little more seasoned because I'm going to the Ruby Buckle. I love the pink and Ruby Buckle okay. events. They are just been, they are, I just love them. They're really so, changing but, our, our industry, for sure. Oh, they are in it for the good. For the good, I mean, yes. They, they yes. are really Royal Crown and, oh, yeah. Yeah. All that stuff. You know, there's a lot of places you can go if you don't want to go to rodeo. And then I was just noticing, now I had a little accident and broke my collarbone, so I haven't done, I haven't gone to some of the things I would have gone to, but I think I'm going to enter San Angelo. <laughs> so, so that's where I'm going. But, Good. And I have a big, um, next month, I, half the month of next month, I have a clinics in Wisconsin, and I am one of the clinicians at the Midwest Horse Fair, which is the nation's largest two-day horse fair in Madison, Wisconsin, which is a ton of fun, and so I'm doing that in April. Good. Uh, where can we find you on social media? I have Facebook. I, I have Messenger. I'm not a great social media person. I'm terrible uh, about putting stuff on there, but I am on there. Good deal. And website? I do have a website. Yep, and that's dinakirkpatrick.com. At mag. I mean, yeah, dinakirkpatrick.com, yeah. yes. You can find Dina at her website, dinakirkpatrick.com. She's also on Facebook and Instagram. The Barrel Horse Life Podcast is also on Instagram 
at The Barrel Horse Life and on Facebook at The Barrel Horse Life. Be sure to follow us for the latest and new episodes and I post some really great barrel racing memes. Be sure to give us a five-star rating and review on Apple Podcasts and hit that subscribe button on Spotify or wherever you're listening. This really helps others just like you find our podcast. Support for the podcast comes from Draw It Out. You can purchase their complete line of products at LonePrairiePHS.com and from WOCO. To find out if you're a good fit for Jamie's program, head on over to her website at whoaa-co.com. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you guys down the road. Thank you.